Away Church is we've got a bunch of young people who are active, some little ones who are super active. On the other end of the spectrum, we've got some older folks, some bald heads and some gray heads who are also active and who love the Lord and are living for God. And then there's a whole bunch of people in the middle. We're not just an old church or a young church. I'm excited that there are so many different varieties of folks here in this place. And so thank you for all being part of that. Let's not forget how much of a blessing that is to be able to have the old and the young together and doing life together. But I think sometimes it's hard to keep in mind that there are blessings in old age and blessings in youth because we tend to focus on one or the other. So many times when we're young, we think, I just can't wait until I grow up. Do any of you remember saying that? I can't wait until I grow up. I remember, I can't wait until I get my driver's license and can just get out. I can't wait until I'm done with school and can just be, I can't wait until I can get out of this house and make my own. Dis- you remember that? You can't wait till you grow up? All right, those of you who are grown up, how many of you just wish that you could be a kid again? Like, even just for a couple days. Like, it'd be fun to go out and sled and not hurt when it's over. We have these things. We, we have these things about us that we tend to, to feel like either where we're at is best or where we were is best. And, and we have a hard time, I think, sometimes valuing all of it. And today, as we get into this passage here about Jesus speaking to the Pharisees and the scribes in the setting of this banquet at Levi's house. One of the things that we're going to see is we're we're going to see new ideas crashing up against old ideas. But before we do that, I need to dismiss the kids at Children's Church because I got so excited. Thank you for the 19 of you who are trying to remind me. Oh, my. See, when I was young... I didn't forget things like that. I'd like to invite the kids to come forward. And look at that, Brody's even in the aisle already. Kids to come forward, kids between four years old and first grade for Children's Church, and then kids between second and fifth grade for Waterway 2-5. All right, now I have a question for you guys. As you can, how many of you, how many of you have parents who sometimes forget things. Do your parents ever forget things? Do all of, yeah, some of you. Now, who forgets more, mom or dad? Dad does? Dad forgets more? He forgets more than mom? Yeah, that's the experience in my house too. Yeah, dad, dad forgets a lot more. How many of you were concerned that I was gonna forget all about children's church and you were gonna to have to listen to a whole sermon? Were any of you worried about that? I know, I know. Well, let me apologize to you. I am thankful that you're young and you won't have heart attacks. But uh, let's pray together. Can we pray together before we go to children's church? Here's how I like to pray. I usually put my hands together and I bow my head and I close my eyes like this. God, I thank you for these boys and girls. And I thank you that you've given them energy and that you've given them a future. Lord, I pray that as they go to children's church in Waterway 2-5, I pray that something would happen that your spirit would visit them and you would work through their teachers and through these kids' hearts to draw them close to you. And Lord, I pray for us here in this room that we'd be drawn close to you too as we study your word and learn together. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, boys and girls. So I'm 46 years old. I'll be 47 in a couple of weeks. And I am noticing, I am noticing that 46 ain't 26. 
I am noticing, and some of you are maybe a few years ahead of me and you're saying, yeah, we know. But I'm noticing, quite frankly, like here's a perfect illustration. There are a few things that I don't remember as well as I used to be able to. Have you noticed this about yourself? Don't tell me if you've noticed it about me, but have, <laughs> have you noticed this about, <laughs> yeah, Steve, thank you, thank you. Have you noticed that, that as you age, things do change that are not all good? I mean, there are some things that as we age, there are some things in life that maybe get better or maybe get easier if we're blessed. But have you noticed that some of the things are not as easy as they used to be? Some of us have seen it this week, right? Even just in the really cold weather and in the snow that, that oh, this isn't as fun as it used to be. Some of you are still going to the mountains and snowmobiling though. Good for you. That'll keep you young or else push you over the edge. But it is something how old and young, new and old, it's something how these things affect us and sometimes mess with us. This week, I was at a banquet on Thursday night. A few of you were there for Hope Christian Center. Hope Christian Center is a ministry, and the way the tagline has read for the last couple of years, a ministry for men with life-controlling issues. So guys who deal with all kinds of different uh, uh, addictions and, and, and far from God and, and people who need the Lord, and, and we all need the Lord, but a really intensive residential program in the Bronx. And that had been in existence for over 50 years. And it's closing this year. There's still plenty of staff, and there's still plenty of money, and there's still property, but there's just not a demand for that kind of program anymore. And so this year... Hope Christian Center, instead of having a fundraising banquet up at Shady Maple, they had what they called a banquet. They just invited people to come who have been at banquets before and people who have been supporters of the mission to come and say thank you. And it was kind of a, a closing thing. They said, we've had these years of ministry and now this particular ministry has stopped even though the properties are going to continue to be used for different kinds of church work and Christian ministry work in the Bronx. So it was exciting stuff, but it was interesting, just some of the, the mix of feelings of praise God for all the ministry that has happened over the years. And, and praise God that he's still at work in the Bronx, but still a little bit of sadness because, oh, what a rich mission that we've been able to be part of. So there was this mix of feelings. And, and so that was the banquet. And what was interesting is I was sitting beside a woman who grew up here in Oxford at Media Mennonite Church. She's a few years older than me, and, and her father was Alan Summers. And Alan, some of you, a couple of you remember Alan and Sarah Summers from some years ago. Alan did a lot of work to help take care of the property. And she told me about how her father on cold days when we were back, well, we, I wasn't there, when we as a church were back three buildings ago in the old chapel at Fifth Street and Media Road. She told me about how her father's job was to go and start up the wood stove and make sure that it was warm. Because in those days, when you came into the chapel, the heat was a wood stove in the corner of the one big room, which was the sanctuary. How many of you remember that? There's two or three of you, four, five, six, a handful of you that remember those days. I asked her, here was my question. I said, now mind you, this was Thursday night, week of cold and snow. I said, who decided who got to sit beside the wood stove at the old media chapel? Or who decided who had to sit 
beside the wood stove at the old media chapel. And how did you work that out on cold days like today? So many of us know what it's like to be around a hot wood stove. To get it warm enough to fill up a room to feel good, sitting right beside it may not be the best. But, you know, there are some people that would want to sit far away most days until that cold morning. Then let's sit close. Who decided that? And she said, you know, I never asked Dad that. And now I can't, and I wish I would have. And so I'm sitting at a banquet where we're celebrating the things of the past and looking forward to the things of the future and telling stories around the table about things of the past. And yet, honestly, I didn't wish for any of that. There was no part of me that said, I wish we could sit around a wood stove in church today. Wouldn't that be a fun way to heat our room? New and old transitions happening from styles, all kinds of ways that things used to be, but they're not anymore. That's what this scripture is challenging us to think about. In the book of Luke, Luke is writing for a sponsor named Theophilus. And it says in Luke chapter one, that he is writing to Theophilus so that Theophilus may have certainty about the things that he was taught. Luke is writing and says, I've been following these events of Jesus and I'm writing it down so that you can be sure about what it is that you were shown as a young one. And through the first couple of chapters of Luke, we read about the birth of Jesus and the announcement of Jesus by John the Baptist and the temptation of Christ that happened after his baptism. We read about Jesus being rejected in his hometown as a 30-year-old prophet coming back around and telling them about the Lord. We read in Luke chapter 4 about Jesus casting out evil spirits. In Luke chapter 5 about Jesus healing Simon's mother-in-law and a man with leprosy and a man who was paralyzed. In Luke chapter 3, 4, 5, we're seeing this mission come into clarity. And in Luke 5, 27, it says, after this, after this, all this stuff, the baptism of Christ, the rejection of Christ, casting out evil spirits, healing Simon's mother-in-law and a man with leprosy and a man who was paralyzed, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at the tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. Now, by this time, Jesus has a crowd following him. By the time he calls Levi, he has already called Simon and Andrew and James and John to be his disciples. Remember, they were fishermen, and he was walking along the sea, and he called and said, follow me. And so they did. They came and followed him. And these fishermen, they were simple rubes to most of the community. They, they were hardworking, but not necessarily hard-thinking kind of fellows. But they were doing respectable work. And so Jesus called these men and said, come and follow me, be my disciples, be fishers of men. And now we see that Jesus is calling his fellow Levi, and this would be an entirely different thing than when he called Simon and Andrew and James and John, because these tax collectors, they did not work hard with their hands, and their jobs were not respectable jobs in the community. A little bit of background, what it meant to be a tax collector in the time of Jesus. Tax collectors could buy the rights to be tax collectors. There was a whole system, kind of like a franchise system. And if you wanted to be a tax collector in the land of Jesus, you would talk to the Roman authorities and say, hey, I'll help you out. Let me be the man on the ground. And they would pay ahead of time, these tax collectors. What's required for my area? $10,000 a year. Okay, here's $10,000 a year. And then the tax collectors would work in that area to collect all the money to make themselves whole. Often, when they required, forwarded the required amount to Rome, they would collect what they could, and what they collected was more than what they should. There were all kinds of taxes. I know none of us would understand this whole tax thing, right? Right? Very simple here in our world and our time. Hardly anything's taxed. 
I'm sorry, that's not a pastor lying to you. That's sarcasm. I, I, we need to be careful about the difference. I probably need to straighten up a little bit here. But in this time of Jesus, there was a poll tax, P-O-L-L, poll tax on everyone, even slaves. So every single person in the realm had to pay a bit of a tax. There was an income tax and there was a land tax. See, these things that we're facing today, they're, they're not so different than what was happening 2,000 years ago in Rome. There was a tax then on transport and on bridges and on produce. Now, the Talmud, and this is an old Jewish text that was put together. It was the rabbinical teachings that had been collected over the centuries. And, and this Talmud was in existence at the time of Jesus. The Talmud talks about two kinds of tax collectors among the Jews. I, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, so I don't know the pronunciations excellently, but the two kinds are the Gabbai and the Mokas. Okay? The Gabbai, these are the ones who collected the poll tax and the income tax and the land tax, like the stuff that you paid every year. Okay? But then there were these Mokas, and they collected the little taxes, the produce tax and the bridge tax and the traveling tax. And these mochas, there were great mochas and little mochas. The great mochas were the bosses. They were in charge and they sat in an office somewhere, collecting the money and getting rich. And then there were little mochas, and these were actually out among the people, and some of these sat in a booth. This seems to be Levi's job. He's sitting in a booth. He's out close to the sea. Probably he was taxing the people who were fishing. The fishermen, we've got to pay a tax. There's, you're, you're, taking, you're taking the emperor's fish. Got to pay a tax. You're doing transport here on the Roman roads. This is what Levi is doing. He's not a great man in the scheme of things, but he is a man with great power because he's the tax man. Do you remember Luke chapter 3? Preached on this just not very long ago. John the Baptist was out baptizing people for repentance. And do you remember when the people were kind of cut to the heart and they were convicted, they said, okay, John, what do we need to do now? You're telling, us, you're telling us to turn to the Lord, to repent and turn away from our sins. It says in Luke chapter 3, verse 12, even the tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, what should we do? They asked him. And John the Baptist said to these people, he said, don't collect any more than you are required to. Why does a teacher need to say that to a person? Because the tax collectors are collecting more than they're required to. Most likely, Levi's boss sent his payment to Rome, and then he said, okay, all you guys go out in the booth, and you're going to collect this and collect this and collect this, and you're going to make them pay that, and if they don't, we're going to send out the goons, and they're going to break some legs, and then you're going to... This is how it worked. This is a hard world. These tax collectors, they are on the ground dealing with people extorting money in many cases. And they were out among their own people. Levi, Levi is a Jewish name. And Levi is among the Jews taxing his people. Levi is working for crooked thieves, collecting more than he should. Levi was filthy and unclean because he was handling idolatrous money that had pictures of the emperor on it, stuff that was anathema to the Jews. This is what Levi was doing. And yet Jesus came to him and said, follow me. Jesus came even to that guy doing that job. These tax collectors, they were the lowest of the low. And Jesus came to him and said, follow me. And it says in verse 28 that this tax collector got up, left everything. He rose and followed him. 
What did he leave? He left his job. He left his security. Because if you step out of that tax booth, there is going to be somebody willing to step back in. He left his income. We'll see in just a minute that this guy's doing well. He has a house big enough for a huge feast. He left his people to a degree because his own people, the Jews, hated him. The only folks that he could finally kind of find some relationship with were the other tax collectors who knew what it was to be miserable. And he's leaving them now because he's leaving everything behind. That's kind of like repentance, right? Kind of like turning away from all the stuff. Now, even his name is changed because in the future, this Levi is called Matthew. He's made an apostle. In fact, Matthew wrote a book called Matthew. He was inspired by God. Levi is his Hebrew name. Matthew is his Greek name, kind of like Simon Peter. This is Levi Matthew, like Doug Verne or Kurt Buford. There's another one for you old media folk. Lots of people say that Levi Matthew was probably aware of Jesus before any of this stuff even happened. Because here Levi has been sitting in a booth by the sea, calling fishermen to pay their taxes. And certainly he would have seen Jesus out calling fishermen to follow him. It's possible that Levi has been watching Jesus do his ministry. And Levi has been watching people follow after this Jesus. And Levi's been sitting there in his booth collecting taxes. It's possible that all this is happening at all the same time. Is, is there anybody in your life like that who, who is not really part of things but is right in the middle of things? Do you have any losers in your part of the world? Uh, you might not call that to their face. And deep in your heart, you know that they are made in the image of God and they have value. But do you have any losers in your, are any of you the losers in somebody's world? We are. Some of us are. Is it possible that there's anybody in your life that's just been kind of sitting on the edge? And maybe they've got money and maybe they've got some influence and maybe they've got a reputation. But is it possible that there's a Levi in your world? who's watching all the Jesus stuff happen, and they're watching you follow hard after God, but they've never been invited to be part of it? Is it possible that there's a Levi around you? It's really interesting. It's really interesting that there is no record in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, of this Levi who became Matthew, who became an apostle, who then wrote a gospel. There's no record of him ever speaking. Nowhere is Matthew quoted, even, as I said, in his own gospel. Matthew, as he writes his own story, simply says that the tax collector turned and followed Jesus. Doesn't go into how he turned away from all of his old life. This Levi is a humble man. This Levi understands his brokenness. He's been watching. Jesus invites him, says, come follow me. And he gets up and he follows Jesus with all that he's got. And even later when he writes a gospel, he doesn't make a big deal and say, well, then I said this and then I said that. Levi is never quoted. And Matthew never makes a big deal about giving up what he gave up. That's a transformation, folks. And I wonder, do you have any Levi's in your life who need to change like that? Do you need to change like that? 
This invitation still stands. Jesus still calls out to people and says, come follow me. But this story is about Levi. And so as Levi followed Jesus, it says in verse 29 that after this happened, after he got up and followed Jesus and left everything, it says that he held a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with him. This is how we know that Levi had some money. This is how we know that he was a man. It means he had a large house, had a large banquet. Now all the people can come to him. Why? Because he sits in a booth. He's at the bottom of the chain, but still there is extra money for him. To this point, and Jesus says, follow me. And Levi says, fine, I'll leave it all. He holds a great banquet and a large crowd of his friends and others were eating with them. As I said, Levi was doing well. Verse 30, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? The Pharisees, these ones who were so concerned with purity, these ones who were so concerned with following God, with staying away from all the dirty stuff, the dirty folk, staying away from the tax collectors. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to the disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? They must not have been too far away because Jesus answered them. You see verse 31? Jesus overhears all this. These guys were not far from the banquet. It's been said that banquets like this, so big and so grand, it's such a big person's house, These were not private affairs with gates and machine guns. These were the kind of things where folks would come and look in the windows and see what was happening. Seems to be that that's what these Pharisees are doing. They're following them around. They say, hey, disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus hears it and answers them. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, he doesn't say that the Pharisees are righteous. But what he says to these Pharisees, these hypocrites, these people who think that they are better than all the tax collectors and sinners. You notice it says in verse 29, as Luke writes it down, that there's a large crowd of tax collectors and others. But the Pharisees in verse 30 wondered why he eats with the tax collectors and sinners. You can see their attitude, can't you? Jesus says, it's not the healthy you need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus says, I'm here among the sick. And they're being healed. And then the Pharisees said to Jesus, again, close to the banquet, John's disciples, that is John the Baptist, John's disciples often fast and pray. So do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours go on eating and drinking. Now notice, Jesus doesn't say that fasting is bad. He simply says there's a time and a place for everything. These Pharisees are coming saying, John's disciples fast. The Pharisees fast. The fasting was a big deal. This is how people showed their dedication to God. They didn't eat anything. But Jesus answered in verse 34, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? Jesus says, I'm here now. This is a celebration. This is a banquet. You want us to fast now? Fasting is a morning thing. Fasting is a dedication thing. Fasting is the kind of thing that makes us reflect. He says there's time for that before, and there will be time. He says the time will come, verse 35, when the bridegroom will be taken for them. In those days they will fast. But Jesus says today, today we are feasting because I am here. The presence of God is here. The salvation of God is here. The kingdom of God is here. And Jesus says, I am feasting with these tax collectors and all their buddies. Why? Because they need me. He told them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment and the patch from the new will not match the old. 
this parable, very simple. It just simply says, don't tear up a new shirt to patch an old one because you'll ruin the new one and you'll ruin the old one. She says, guys, you're, you're thinking about this all wrong. Don't, don't take this new thing that I'm doing and, and just try to patch over your old way of understanding religion. He says, look, get with me right now. I am here. There's an invitation. Come and follow me. Jesus says, you're trying to mix this in with all your old stuff. And then Jesus goes on in verse 37. He says, no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, and the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. New wine must be poured into new wineskins. Jesus basically says, guys, there's a way to do things. You don't ruin the old and the new by being foolish. You can't put, you can't put new wine into old wineskins because those old wineskins are already stretched out. You put new wine in there and there's going to be fermentation. There's going to be gas. It's going to ruin the whole thing. No, new wine needs to go into new wineskins that can still stretch and still flex so that everything can be held together. Jesus says, this is what I'm doing. I'm bringing life. I'm bringing something that matters here. But you're trying to make me fit into your old system of fasting? You're trying to fit me into your old system of ignoring the people who need me the most and looking at the tax collectors and just pretending they're not there? Jesus says, no, I'm doing something new right now. I'm inviting those guys that you're rejecting. And I'm bringing life where there wasn't life before. And then Jesus wraps it up. He says, no one after drinking old wine wants new, for they say the old is better. And Jesus is kind of digging at these guys because, frankly, a wine connoisseur knows that old wine is better than new wine. But what he's telling these Pharisees here, these guys who are trapped in their systems of the past, these people who are stuck on legalism. We know in Romans chapter 9 that Paul says that, that there were folks who could not understand the law because they saw it as something that required action from them to try to earn the favor of God. But what it actually says in Romans chapter 9 is that these people are pursuing the law not by faith but as if it were by works. People are stumbling over the stumbling stone because they think that they need to behave their way into heaven. They need to reject all the dirty folk and just try to be so right. And what Jesus is saying is, guys, you're focusing on the wrong stuff. I'm doing something new here. And you don't just patch this over the old. This is a whole new way of life. We're talking about tax collectors leaving their booths and having a big banquet so that all their friends can hear about Jesus. And in fact, Matthew left this world behind forever as he went on to be an apostle for Jesus Christ. Now, as we wrap up today, I just want to encourage you, church, in 2024, to remember that in these parables, in this talking about garments, don't, don't destroy a new thing just to destroy an old thing. In these parables, we need to remember that Jesus is not saying that old or new are objectively good or bad. He's calling people to himself. He's saying you... You Pharisees, you're stuck in the past. Come to me now. But the Pharisees couldn't see it because they idolized the old ways. Think about how we use the phrase old-fashioned. These Pharisees wanted everything to be old-fashioned. They wanted it to be the way it used to be, the way they understood, the way that they could manipulate. Now, old-fashioned is great. If you're talking about pretzels or donuts or ice cream or root beer, you give me some old-fashioned root beer. But I'll tell you what, old-fashioned is not so great if you're talking about surgery there's a setting for, same for the word classic. Any of you remember New Coke? 
Any of you old enough to remember with me when new Coke came out in 1985, the folks at Coca-Cola decided they wanted to put out a new recipe because they were afraid the old recipe was getting bad and Pepsi was starting to creep up on them. But pretty soon there was such an uproar that, that for just a couple of years, Coke tried to still push their new Coke, but they put the word classic on their old Coke because so many people hated the new stuff. And so there was new Coke and there was Coke classic. Do you remember this? Am I the only one? Well, eventually new Coke went away. And it's amazing to me how long the word classic stayed on the side of that Coke bottle. And classics are great. Classic cars, any of you like riding a classic car? Yeah, it's great until it's 15 degrees outside. Then you know what I want? I want a remote start and heated seats. <laughs> Old isn't always better, so don't idolize it. But let's be honest, new isn't always better either because since the time of Jesus when he said, come to me, since the time of Jesus when he said, reject the old stuff, how much new stuff has come along that is exactly as ridiculous as the old? We see that today, don't we? New things, new ideas, a new way of, that just takes people further and further away from God. The point is what Jesus is saying here with all this wineskin stuff, he, he says, you guys are idolizing the past. Don't do that because you'll miss what I'm doing right now. And some people idolize the new and the technological and the cutting edge. And Jesus says, don't do that because you'll miss what I did even 2,000 years ago. The point is Jesus. He, he says, don't get wrapped up in pushing so far into the future or holding on to the past. He says, come to me. Just like he said to Levi, follow me. Let's not kid ourselves. Most of us have an inclination to worship the past or to idolize progress. Some of us are all sentimental and nostalgic and grumpy about all the new stuff. Some of us want to be cutting edge and we're obnoxious because we just love to make fun of the old stuff. Don't do that. Follow Jesus. Don't just follow the trends. Don't just follow the past. Follow Jesus, who is fresh all the time, who is true all the time, who is believable and who is relevant all the time. Jesus says to that, to that group of fishermen, he says, follow me, and they followed him. On the other end of the scale, he says to this tax collector, follow me, and he followed him. And there was truth and salvation for all of them. It's not about new or old, past or present, but it's about Jesus. This is what life is. This is what faith is. This is what we've got to be. So as we wrap up today, oh, there's more I could say. But as we wrap up today, here is your assignment for this next week. What are the things that you or the people around you have gotten stuck on from the past that you need to let go of because you need to hold on more fully to Jesus? And is there any progress or technology or cutting edge something that's pulling you into the future and also pulling you away to Jesus and you need to reject that too? Are, are there any of you who need to just be really careful about the tech that you jump into, the new ideas that you jump into? Or any of you need to be really careful about the old stuff that you idolize? Think about that this week. And remember that there's good old stuff and there's good new stuff. But none of us is going to find salvation in any of that because salvation is only in Jesus. That's the point, and that's what Jesus is doing here. And that's why he says to Levi, and that's why he says to you and me, he says, follow me. Follow me. Church, can we pray together? God, today we've done baby dedications because we have families that are saying they want to follow you. Lord, today we've prayed for and blessed these quizzers because these kids are saying they want to follow you. They, they want to they know you more and they want to understand your word and they want to write it on their hearts and so they're following you. Lord, there are many in this room today who are holding 
close to you, following you well. They've responded to your call. They've left behind their old life, and they are living well. But, Lord, there are some of us in this room who are stuck in the past. And there are some of us in this room who are just so excited to blaze into the future that we're missing Jesus. God, forgive us. Forgive us for being so so backward-focused or so forward-focused that we miss the right now. The right now that is Jesus simply looking at us and saying, follow me. Oh, God, help us. God, help us. Thank you, Lord, for loving us enough to reach out to even us the way that you did to Levi the tax collector. Lord, we too are filthy. We too have lied and cheated. We too don't deserve you. But we too are ready to follow you. So thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross and for having the power to rise from the grave and for offering us salvation if we will believe in you and make you our Lord. And Holy Spirit, now, as we close this worship service with a song, Holy Spirit, would you empower us to follow God with all our hearts, forgetting about what is behind and not idolizing what is ahead, but recognizing the truth and the power of Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you help us? Amen.